When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How long does it take to get your school back to where you expect them to be? We got Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze joining the show here in just a matter of minutes to discuss this very thing. I asked him for a timeline on when he expects Auburn to get to where he wants it to be. His answer coming up here, like I said, in just a matter of moments. Welcome into the hard count, y'all. The people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about this beautiful sport. It happens here every single day. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. We have got a ton to get into. I put a question out on my Twitter page. It's been a hotly discussed topic. Oklahoma and Texas headed to the SEC here very, very soon. Which is the first school to win the SEC title? There was a lot of comedians in my mentions saying, I'll take Vanderbilt or they'll never win an SEC title. Okay, I hear you. We'll unpack that one. Also, like I said, Coach Prime sold out a spring game. Colorado, the Colorado Buffaloes, the school that went 1-11 a year ago. They sold out the spring game. And also, it's going to be featured on ESPN. For context, the defending national champions, Georgia Bulldogs, uh, they'll be on an ESPN, too, for their spring game. So how big a deal is it to sell out your spring game? It is, as, as you know, matter of fact, it is just practice 15. So how much stock do you really put into it? What does that mean? We'll unpack that one. A lot of coaches. Head into their second year at Premier Institutions. Brian Kelly at LSU, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Billy Napier at Florida. Where do they stand right now? We did this for a couple of other year two coaches on our last show, got good feedback. So we're going to keep this thing rolling into another batch of coaches headed into their second year. And then, of course, like I already mentioned, Hugh Freeze about to join the show here in just a few short minutes. We talk spring games, both the upcoming A-Day for Auburn and how Coach Freeze would format spring games. Uh, he made a comment on that. That made waves a couple of days ago, so we got his thoughts on that. Talked about his quarterback battle. He gave us a timeline as well for when he expects to potentially name a starter, more or less. So we'll unpack that. Y'all, we're so glad you're here. We're not going to waste too, more, too much more time. But you made it here safe. There's a lot to talk about. College football, take a break from whatever you got going on for the next hour or so, and we'll get into it. All right. So, like I said, who is the first school to win an SEC title out of Oklahoma and Texas? They head to the SEC a year early. So 2024 will be when they arrive. This is their last year in the Big 12 Conference. And I've been on Twitter asking this question. I've done different radio hits where we've been asked this question. And I think it's time we just give this an honest assessment. Okay, because both Texas and Oklahoma, two of the premier brands in college football, not just the Big 12 or the SEC in college football. And so the expectation would be at some point in time, one of these schools is going to win the SEC in the next hundred years. Right. Like, I think that is not an unreasonable statement to make. But I don't think the answer is so simple as just a Oklahoma or Texas. Like I don't think it's just a clear answer that we can have. we got to unpack this with some context. And the first thing that I'm looking at when it comes to the context around who could win the SEC first whenever they get there is what happens their last year in the Big 12? What happens this year in 2023? A lot of what I would say with building to what they're going to do in the SEC is about the stability of their operation. 
think about, and we've said this many times, think about how you would judge each program if they were to win six games. Oklahoma wins six games this coming year. Texas wins six games this coming year. What's the situation at both schools? We'll start with Texas. If they win six games in Steve Sarkeesian's third year, that means he went five and seven, then he went eight and four, and then they went six and six, not counting whatever the bowl game ends up being. That doesn't give me a ton of optimism for a recruit. I'm saying, okay, so you won six games in your third year with Quinn Ewers at quarterback, with 10 of 11 starters back on offense. How much longer is Steve Sarkeesian staying at Texas? I'm not saying he gets fired. You guys know how I feel about that. I do not believe Steve Sarkeesian will be fired this year if they win six games. I think that's unreasonable. I think there's a lot of pressure already on him right now. If they won six games this year, that pressure would only be increased. But think about from a recruiting standpoint how that would impact Texas. It'd be a lot harder for me as a recruit to buy into the direction of Texas. Because again, the stability around the program, I think, would be in a little bit more question. So that's how you would perceive Texas if they were to win six games. Now for Oklahoma, if they were to win six games and Brent Venables in his, in his second year does that at Oklahoma, I'm saying, okay, you had two years, you won six games. Where's this thing going? I don't have a, a large sample size for Brent Venables as a head coach to where I can just say, yeah, he's done it other places as a head coach. He's won this many games as a head coach. He's never been a head coach before. Last year was his first year. And I think we got to give him the, the benefit of the doubt, to be honest with you, in terms of what happened last year. But if I'm a recruit, again, you're telling me you won six games, back-to-back -back years, headed to the SEC. The level of difficulty is only going to increase here. What am I buying into? What, what is the direction? What's the stability going on right now at each of these schools? Now, if they were to both win 10 games, I think you look at it in a different way and say, okay, Texas is trending in a positive way. Oklahoma's trending in a positive way. I feel good about buying in. But if one school were to win six games, the other were to win 10 games, it just totally changes the way that you look at them in terms of how they're trending when they get to the SEC. You with me? So what happens in 2023 is a very big variable when it comes to their success when they get to the SEC. So we got to use context here, and that's a big point of context that needs to be addressed. The other thing I'm looking at, there is no other position in sports that is more important than quarterback. Mic drop, period, the end. Both these schools, the good news is they both recruited their quarterback of the future in a Jackson Arnold and an Arch Manning, both five-star players, both the future of the program. I mean, I talked to people at Oklahoma. They told me that Jackson Arnold's probably the most talented guy in that quarterback room today, and he's probably not going to start this year. So you feel really good about what you have in-house. Then Arch Manning, I mean, last name Manning, his recruitment was covered by just about anybody and everybody like we all know what we expect from him which of these guys pops first if that makes sense like which of these guys becomes a differentiating factor for their team because they've recruited well around both these quarterbacks for Texas the hope is that Quinn Ewers plays well enough this year to leave for the NFL and then Arch Manning is your guy when you get to the SEC but which guy has the Caleb Williams effect? And that's, that's asking a lot, to be honest with you. I think the question is, do either of these guys have the Caleb Williams effect? Where you just trot them out and you know that you are going to have a really good chance to win because of who you have at quarterback. Okay, I think both guys will be good. But what's the level of impact that they both present to you? Okay, because you got to have a quarterback to win in, in college football. Especially in the SEC. I mean, look at the teams that made the college football playoff. 
Max Duggan, Heisman finalist. Stetson Bennett, Heisman finalist. J.J. McCarthy really came on towards the end of the year for Michigan. C.J. Stroud, Heisman finalist. Like, you got to have the quarterback to be able to play at a championship level within the SEC. And I don't think that's a stretch. Look at the SEC the last couple of years. Georgia and Alabama, one of the last two years. Bryce Young for Alabama, Stetson Bennett for Georgia. Like, that, that's kind of a part of the formula here. So which of these guys is able to hit the ground running the quickest and which is able to have that it factor for you? Because I think they'll both be really, really good, but which ends up having some, some ROI first, if that makes sense. Again, you feel good about both, but which hits first is my question. So if we're going to use logic here, and I think we should, because that's all we have to go off of right now. You can use emotion, you can use feel, and those have their time and place. But right now, if we're using logic, I think it is difficult to say that Texas shouldn't win the SEC before Oklahoma does. And if you're an Oklahoma fan, you probably just spit out your drink or you threw something at your screen, and that's fine. I mean, I appreciate your passion. But think about it this way. Oklahoma and Brent Venables are pretty early on in terms of their development of their team. I said it a second ago. Brent Venables is going into his second year as a head coach. He's just figuring this out. If you're climbing the mountain, Brent Venables and Oklahoma are just kind of starting their ascent. Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, they've been at this thing for a while now. Like this, it, when, they, when they get to the SEC, they would be going on year four for Steve Sarkeesian. He's been a head coach before at other institutions. He's had the trial and error. He's had time to get his culture in place. He's had time to develop his roster. Like at Texas, there's some expectation that you start to get it done soon. Not just because of the resources they put into place, not just because of the branding, but because of how long you've been at it. There's the expectation that Texas now will eventually deliver some results. So when you get to the SEC, take the branding away, take the names out of it. I got a year four coach who's been at it for a while and been a head coach before. And I got a year three coach who's literally going on his third year ever being a head coach. Again, that's when they get to the SEC in 2024. Who would you expect more from? The guy who's been on the job longer or the guy who's just figured it out in his third year? And I'm not dunking on Brett Venables. Heck, I'm buying stock in Oklahoma like it's going out of style. But in terms of who you would expect to win the SEC first, Texas 1,000% should be your answer based on how long they've been developing. Now, here's the thing I would also say. It's not about who wins the first one. Like Whoever wins the first one, that's great, cool. Take the trophy, put it in the trophy case. It'd be a big deal. You get a medal. I mean, like that's awesome, great. It's not about who wins the first one. It's about who is set up to consistently compete for the SEC title. Because you can have a flash in a pan. I mean, I think Missouri in their first or second year in the conference, they played for an SEC title. I don't think they've been back since. It's not about one year. It's about building your foundation for continued success over time. So for Texas and OU, I'm excited to see what they do. Texas, just based on a product in itself, is further along than Oklahoma. But really, I'm, I'm keeping a very close eye on this quarterback spot. Jackson Arnold and Arch Manning, do either of those guys present the, the Caleb Williams effect, like for USC? Like you just trot them out there and you know they're going to be your game breaker. They're taking over the game. Do either of those guys have that impact? If it's both of them, then we got a whole other story and we're going to have a lot of really good games on our hands in the Red River rivalry. But keep an eye on this one. My answer would be Texas, but not because I'm down in Oklahoma. It's because for Texas, at some point in time, it is a show me, right? It is a show me year this year for Texas. It's going to be a 
let's do something now if we get to the SEC and Steve Sarkeesian has had some good things in 2023. All right? Golly, that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Do you realize what's going to happen in 2024? USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, Texas and OU to the SEC. The college football playoff gets expanded. Y'all got your way. The playoff is expanding. I'm not for it, but that's no. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be excited about it. I'm gonna watch every game. You better believe it. But 2024 is gonna be a year for the books for college football. All right. Now, what a lot of y'all are tuned in for right now, Coach Hugh Freeze from the Auburn Tigers. They got their A-Day coming up here this Saturday. He sat down with us yesterday, talked about the quarterback battle, talked about his vision for Auburn football. He even went so far as to tell us his timeline for, or I'll say this, we asked him about the timeline for when he expects Auburn football to get to where he wants it to be. He had a really great answer for that, quite honestly. But without further ado, here's the head ball coach, Coach Hugh Freeze. And we are now joined by the head coach of Auburn Tiger football, Coach Hugh Freeze. Coach, we'll start with this. You caught a little bit of heat for your preferences when it comes to pizza in Auburn, Alabama. Have you diversified the portfolio at all when it comes to those restaurants? Honestly, I told my wife and daughters, hey, obviously I need to expand my horizon some, but we haven't uh, we haven't done pizza since that night yet. So um, I did uh, get them to get the list from the uh, press conference of all the mentions there, and and we'll um, we'll start trying some different places. But I still would kind of stand by my word that I did enjoy Old Italy. I thought it was good. Yeah, I had a friend from Auburn, and I asked him, I was like, is Coach Freeze on the money here? He said, absolutely. That's the best spot in Auburn. So those are his words. So you have somebody else in your corner there. Uh, but, Coach, a lot of people, when the Auburn job became open, saw the fit for Auburn to go out and get you. But what made the Auburn job the right fit for you and your family? Yeah, that that's a great question because I had such a, a great job. I, I honestly knew that um, Jill and I and the girls – fit very well uh, on the mountain at Liberty and were set up, I think, there to have great success moving into Conference USA. And so not just any job would uh, would just make me jump from there. Very, very few would, honestly. But we always kind of felt like ever since Jordan went to school here and my good friend Gus was here and knew so much about it and we've always just felt like this is a place that uh, we fit and that the culture of it, the recruiting base, kind of where we might want to retire one day uh, in an area that's close to our parents and, um, and our children and our grandchildren that we're, we're getting ready to have one here shortly. And, um, and then you combine that, it's a place that I believe can compete for it all, win it all. And obviously it's done it before and, um, you know, that's a tall task, but I believe it can be done. So you make, you combine all of those things together in a place that we thought we would enjoy living and, and being a part of the community that's made uh, the decision to leave Liberty doable. Um, and again, that was not easy to leave there, but Auburn's one of the few that, uh, that I would have considered leaving for. Coach, with A-Day this week, everybody is going to be watching your quarterback room between Robbie and TJ and Holden. How are you evaluating them in this A-Day? And then what is it going to take to be your starting quarterback at Auburn? Yeah, you know, I don't, 
I don't think that the evaluation on a quarterback is is a one day deal. That this this will just be a piece of the pie. Um, come Saturday, you know, just like today will be. You know, we're we're keeping a we've got a folder and a book that has every grade uh, for their execution, decision making, um, and that that book's going to go long beyond spring practice fifteen, uh, but. Every everyone is an opportunity for one of them to uh, prove that they're closer to to being prepared to, for that job. And but it's going to take great competition and it's going to take someone who's able to do it over a length of time, even in the way that they lead and operate when you're not in practice sessions. And I think that's something that's been missing a little bit that they haven't been challenged on as much. If you really want to be the guy, then this is what does that look like in, you know, May and June and July? And is it bringing the locker room together or apart? And all of those things I've challenged them on. And uh, we're going to see, you know, how, how that uh, how it happens in those off months. And then obviously in fall count. But uh, I don't want anybody to be under any kind of misnomer or misinformation. This thing's going to go into fall count. And if you can't handle that as a as as one of the guys, that that tells me a lot. And uh, I want everybody to be clear on that picture. We, we we're a long way away from being ready to say who that guy is. And someone who has a great track record working with quarterbacks is your OC Philip Montgomery. How far along are y'all in installing the offense, and and what can you expect and Auburn fans expect uh, from your offense stylistically in 2023? You know, I'm pleased with what we've uh, put in this spring. Um, obviously, it's with it being totally new verbiage, totally new schemes to what they were used to. You know, it's not everything, um, but it was enough for us to, to kind of figure out, you know, this we have a chance to be decent at this run scheme or this this RPO scheme or this pass game. Um, you know, fall camp and game planning, I think we'll be able to get more in. But um, I'm pleased with what we got in this spring. And, you know, we're going to be a mixture of tempo and non-tempo. And some of that's still to be determined how much of what. Um, based on, I think you've got to play complementary football that is best for the whole whole team, not just for your side. And sitting in my chair, I, I've, I've, I think, I have a better understanding of that than than I once did and really tried to do that well at Liberty and and play, you know, really complimentary football. And I think it benefited our defense greatly, uh, but used tempo when I needed to. And so um, I think whatever percentage of that, we're still a ways away from, you know, determining who that is and probably a few games in before we know, hey, this is kind of who we need to be in a current game. Um, but, you know, Phillips always had, uh, you know, exciting offenses. And I'd like to think we've been pretty good um, offensively at the places we've been to. And it's been fun to to kind of collaborate with him on, you know, how we see this developing. And coach, what are some of the names or position groups rather within your team that you think are really going to surprise some people come the fall? Uh, I don't. I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say what a surprise would be to the Auburn faithful. Um, I think our running back room is solid. I think our tight end room is very solid. And, 
you know, I think we've improved ourselves in the old line room compared to um, last year. You know, what does that mean? You know, how far did we close the gap? I don't know that. I, I just think we've improved ourselves. Um, and so I think we improved ourselves in our D-line room. Um, so I, I don't know if those are going to be surprises or not. I think that's kind of what everybody's expecting. Um, we've still got a ways to go in the receiver room, quarterback room, um, and every room, O-line too. But, um, but I do think, I, I do think we're, we're, we're solid in the, in the running back and tight end room for sure. And coach, you sat down with some of our guys from Auburn live, the Auburn on three site before spring practice. And you were very transparent. You're like, Hey, we may be in the market for a quarterback or a linebacker wide receiver post spring practice. Now, having gone through quite a few practices, is that still the way that you feel about those position groups? Yeah, I, I mean, none of us have dealt with this spring portal. This will be our first experience with it. Um, I think it can affect you both ways. I think you can uh, lose some that you may not want to lose. And obviously, you hope that there's some out there that you can attract to uh, help create more depth and, uh, and experience on our team. And um, I said it the other day in the press conference, we're open to the portal business when it opens on April the 15th. That pretty much not every spot, but uh, but not. I mean, we would uh, we'll we'll take a few more old linemen. We'll take uh, another safety, another corner a rush guy. We'll take a quarterback, possibly if it's the right one. I mean, we you know, we're open. So I'm curious to see kind of um who all goes in no absolutely i mean the the post portal or the post spring portal era is going to be absolutely wild i'm sure for y'all be wild for us here within the media but one thing that hasn't changed from talent acquisition has been recruiting at the high school level and y'all have already been getting after it i mean been absolute dogs on the trail in 2024 what has been your philosophy and your approach to recruiting that 2024 class so far uh just be persistent you know, and and prove that this this culture and environment here is one that uh, the right group of young men together can restore it to to the great days of playing for national championships and come you know do something new and fresh at, at a place that you're going to flourish in uh, as a young man, a young student, and a, and and an athlete. So we've been pretty persistent with that, and I think Auburn does a good job of selling itself with this environment that it has on campus and that we're creating in this building and, and on the practice fields. And so my message is simple, man. Come and see. Come and see. I love that. Absolutely love that. Now, you've also been really transparent about the timeline for you when it comes to getting Auburn where you expect it to be. You said it's not going to be overnight fix. For you, what is that timeline when it comes to the expectations you have for Auburn? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, I think you've got to – when you look at the, the – the end result of the 24 recruiting class and the 25 recruiting class, I think we probably need to have another discussion then. Um, but, you know, I think those are going to be critical as to whether or not we're able to do it in my tenure here. And I believe that with all my heart. And, and that's why we're working so hard at uh, the 24 and 25 class. 
All right, great. We'll put that on the calendar and we'll uh, we'll schedule that for 2025 and make sure we uh, we, we get that on the books. Uh, Coach, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you mentioned the other day how you think it'd be a great idea if, you know, Auburn or Alabama were able to scrimmage some of those other, I don't want to say lower level, but smaller schools in state and, you know, benefit uh, charities or whatever it may be. I had a question for you and we talked about it before we got on air developmentally do you see any drawbacks from scrimmaging another team as opposed to having an internal scrimmage for your spring game uh, I don't I think it uh, obviously is going to challenge you as a coach um, you're not going to spend time game planning I wouldn't I would use that uh, third non-padded practice that we all say bef- to do before the spring game I would use it to have some walkthroughs probably based on uh, what kind of fronts you're going to see and Here's the, here's the great thing, and I'm sure others would do the same and, and defenses work on. But but the thing is, coaches have to be able to adjust in games. Our game plans are not always right, so it's another great training exercise for us all. Um, and, and here's the thing that probably a lot of – and this may not be 100% accurate with every coach, but I know for myself, I hope you'll air this – somewhere and let people see it. But I know for myself, John Summerall is a friend of mine. Kane Womack is a friend of mine. Trent Dilfer is a friend of mine. You know, Nick Saban's a friend of mine also. And, but I, I don't know, I can't speak for every head coach, but I don't care if we would get together and get on the phone and say, all right, hey, John, Kane, Trent, how do you want this to look? You know, what do you want to see from us? What do you want? I mean, we would, we would honestly, it would it would be good, I think, for both sides to to be able to, you know, have to adjust and have to, you know, compete. And it's not about to me. And I know all the fans will say he's crazy and stuff. But to me, it's not about winning the spring game as much as it is. Did we get the most out of our 15 opportunities? And I think that would be a great way to end it. And not to mention, I think the greatest thing from from doing what I'm suggesting is the uh, benefit it would be to the less fortunate and those that are, that are going through hard times within your state. And I think college football on one given Saturday in the state of Alabama could make an impact on whether it's foster care, orphan care, feed the, the hungry red cross, um, tornado damage victims. I mean, think about all the things that we could do if all of us said, hey, we're going to, and, and even North Alabama and Alabama State and every school in the, in the state, whenever your spring game is, we just agree that we're going to benefit this group of people for this year on our spring game charity event. I, I just think it would uh, it would make a big dent in in some places that are needed, and we could we could help with that. And you you combine that with competing and getting better with uh, with another school. With I just I think it's a, a great idea. And on top of that, I mean, I'm sure it'd be a phenomenal TV product as the SEC network and all these other networks are already picking up spring games. But no, without a doubt, I hope that conversation continues uh coach last question for you we appreciate all your time what is your vision for auburn football uh to to develop young men that uh, go out into society and have learned valuable valuable lessons from this coaching staff and from our playing experiences 
um, both good and bad, and, and, and hopefully uh, learn from the times we've made mistakes and the times we got it right and, and learn that your beliefs truly drive your behaviors, which will create some type of habit that will give you a result. Do all of that all while winning a national championship. Well, Coach, once again, we appreciate you making time between recruiting, getting ready for the spring game, pizza reviews. I know you got a lot on your plate. So, again, thanks for making some time. Looking forward to seeing y'all in the fall here real soon. Again, I, I believe that Auburn's going to the portal for a quarterback. Like, Hugh Freeze pretty much alluded to that. I don't believe you're going to keep all three quarterbacks after spring practice. But that's a beautiful part of this, man. We get to see. And Coach Hugh Freeze, very transparent, very honest, very open. We appreciate him taking some time to talk some ball with us. Again, Auburn's A-Day coming up this Saturday. It's just incredible we have college football back on the TV screen. Like, don't get it twisted. I would watch UAB Auburn. I've got my own thoughts on the spring game thing that we're not going to talk about right now. But, yeah, appreciate Coach Freeze for joining the show. One school we got to talk about that has a spring game that will come up, I believe it is towards the end of April, April 22nd, Colorado Buffaloes. Don't look now, but Deion Sanders... In Colorado, Coach Prime has sold out the Colorado spring game. For context, a season ago, this game was on the Pac-12 network. And that's not me dunking on the Pac-12 network. I'm pretty sure just about every spring game outside of USC was on the Pac-12 network within the Pac-12 conference. But Colorado will be playing their spring game on ESPN. All right, so we got to talk about what this means. Not so much it being on ESPN, but I just mean, is it a big deal they sold out the spring game at Colorado? Like, how much stock should you put into that? What does that actually equate to? Well, I think it goes without saying, it is another tangible thing that you can point to and say, yep, Coach Prime did that. Deion Sanders did that here at Colorado. Because you have the recruiting juice and what he did in the transfer portal, going out and getting some absolute ballers, Travis Hunter being one of them. The recruiting class right now for 2024 is at number 18 in the country. Folks, for juxtaposition, they had the number 46 class in the 2021 cycle. Okay, so they are very quickly starting to turn this thing around from a talent acquisition standpoint. Now, for you know full transparency, I think that number 18 class in the 2024 cycle has like five commits. So we got a way to go here before the second signing period in February when we put a bow on that whole thing. But you hear what I'm saying. For Colorado to have the juice they have right now on the recruiting trail, you point to Coach Prime. Same deal with this. With Coach Prime, you have a lot of buzz and a lot of buy-in, a lot of excitement. And what other schools have buy-in? What other schools sell out their spring game? Schools that have people that care about their football team. Oklahoma had something like 70,000-plus their spring game last year. G-Day, it's always a sellout. Alabama, primarily, uh, almost all the time, it's a, it's a I don't want to say sellout because I don't know if that's true. They usually draw a pretty good crowd. And so for Deion Sanders... They are generating excitement around the program just by him being the head coach and by the talent they've acquired. Like, that's not something that's always been at Colorado. And hear what I didn't say. I didn't say Colorado hasn't been good before. Colorado's been good at football before. But to have a national presence, to have their spring football game on ESPN, to sell out their spring football game, that's Coach Prime. It is yet another thing that is tangible you can point to and say, yep, Coach Prime did that. And here's what this means. Buy-in equates to support and support essentially is resources and what do we always say on here resources they don't equate to wins but they give you a better opportunity to compete for some wins 
Because this is the deal right now. Whoever wants to spend money, whoever wants to put resources into their football team has a really good chance to be in position to win. I mean, look at Georgia. They were the number one team in the country that spent money on recruiting. Spent the most out of anybody in the country. Georgia. I think it was something like four and a half million. Just a lot of money. You don't do that if you don't have support. And then what happened? What's that support? I promise you, they're going to make back whatever they spent on recruiting from exposure and from more support from the boosters and powers that be because they won back-to-back national titles. I'm not saying it's one-to-one. I'm not saying you spend the most, you win the most. But I am saying if you're willing to spend with the big boys, then you can compete with the big boys. The same reason Florida State is talking about leaving the ACC. I don't want to get too off track here, but for Coach Prime to be generating support, generating buzz, generating buy-in, that potentially could equate to better resources. Okay, so this is, a, this is in some way, shape, or form a relatively big deal. We'll see how much of a big deal it ends up being based on what they do on the field. Got some more thoughts on that, but I'm just saying, keep an eye on this. This is, this is not just something you should just look past, that he's been able to sell out the spring game. All right? Spring is what? It's a showcase, right? It's a showcase for the fans, a showcase for folks like us that are just junky college football fans and can't wait to see a Deion Sanders coach Colorado team. But who is it even more so a showcase for? Recruits. I got more thoughts on this, but make sure you subscribe. We appreciate everyone tuned in live right now. Go ahead and hit that thumbs up for us. Everyone tuned in on the podcast. You're not tuned in live, but we still love you. But appreciate everybody that's tuned in and uh, being a part of what we do here on The Hard Count, man. Make sure you don't miss a minute of it. Make sure you're locked in on the On3 YouTube channel. Again, the best way to do that is by subscribing. So as I was saying, spring games are a showcase for recruits. And think about it this way. If you're a recruit and you show up on your unofficial visit and you walk into the stadium and it's empty, it's not all for naught. I mean, you're still there and you're with Coach Prime and you're still seeing his product on the field. Like, it's still really cool. But you see it in empty stadium. You're with Coach Prime. It's cool, but you're having to go off of what? His word. The promise. Hey, we're going to be able to do some good things here. Hey, just imagine this thing being sold out. Imagine having a bunch of people bought into Colorado football. Just imagine that. And you say, okay, and you visualize it and the promise is exciting and the potential is exciting. But now think about it this way. You show up on an unofficial visit. You're a big-time recruit. You're there to watch Coach Prime. You see Coach Prime, and then around him is, I think it's 45,000 is what Colorado holds. 45,000 fans all juiced up about Colorado football. That's the vision come to life. That's something you can look at, experience, be a part of. Like You're very much so in the middle of what Coach Prime is telling you is going to happen at Colorado. And I was at the personnel symposium in Nashville this past summer. We had a bunch of top programs, a bunch of people that are just elite at their craft and make the whole college football world go, people that host recruits on visits and that try to make the best experience for them. And one thing they said during an, uh, a Q&A panel is we we're trying to do two things when a recruit comes to campus. We're trying to, one, wow them and or make them feel at home. You walk into a sold-out stadium, I think you do both for a recruit. And I don't know if it lands you any commitments, but it for sure doesn't hurt you. It doesn't set you back. At the very least, it puts you on par with other spring games this kid's going to go visit. It's a, it's a special situation they're being able to set up for recruits to walk into a sold-out stadium. 
Maybe you can't make it to the Colorado spring game. Turn on ESPN. Y'all, Georgia's playing their spring game on ESPN, too. They're back-to-back national champions. They're on ESPN, too. Colorado's on ESPN. People care about Colorado right now. The brand has gotten a total facelift, a makeover. We are viewing Colorado in a completely different light because of Coach Prime. And the media is responding accordingly. It's supply and demand. If there wasn't demand for Colorado football, they're not on ESPN. There is demand nationally for Coach Prime and Colorado. We couldn't say that a couple of months ago. Again, something tangible he is bringing to Colorado. So you got a ton of exposure, ton of eyeballs on what Colorado football could be. But here's what I would say to that. You got exposure. You have the attention of the country, recruits, media, fans alike. Everybody is watching Colorado, which is the equivalent of that slow pitch over the plate. You have a chance now to knock it out of the park in this 2023 season, but you still got to swing the bat. You still got to make contact, and that's hard to do especially because you took over a team that won one game a season ago. And so here's what I would say. If you're Colorado, if you hit it out of the park, this thing could snowball in a hurry. If you're a fan, if you're a consumer of college football, like we are because we love this sport with every fiber of our being, I would say be a little bit slow on your opinion of Colorado. Because remember, Deion Sanders didn't inherit a machine that was just wheeling and dealing. He showed up there and got a broke-down car that won a game last season, and he had to go to the portal and get some tools. He brought his son to play quarterback. He got Travis Hunter. He went and got a Cavassier smoke from Kentucky. He's retooling the trenches. Like, like he's trying to fix this thing up as quickly as possible. In USC, when Lincoln Riley took it over, they weren't in great shape either, but they had a little bit more resources previously existing. They had a coach that had done it before, like Deion Sanders is trying to get people to buy in. And there is a level of buying. I want to make sure that's clear. But his situation compared to what Lincoln Riley inherited is not the same. So what I'm trying to tell you is if year one doesn't go swimmingly for Coach Prime, it's not a failure. It's not like, oh, well, I guess Colorado swung and missed on Coach Prime, huh? Good try. No. It takes time to build it up. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of elbow grease. And they're doing that in the portal. They've done that on the recruiting trail to this point. Like I said, they're the number 18 class in the 2024 cycle. For Colorado, that's unheard of. It's so early in that cycle, it's not even fair to talk about it. But what I'm telling you is there is progress. There is momentum. If they could make a bowl game, like if they could just make a bowl game, that would be overachieving. I'm not down on Coach Prime. I'm just telling you, from what he took over, making a bowl game would be overachieving and could have a ton of juice in terms of momentum for what Colorado will be in the future. So withhold judgment for a little bit, but the exposure, the attention, the wow factor for recruits, the making them feel at home, it's all in place. And him selling out the spring game, tees it up perfectly for those things to happen. So it is a big deal. He sold out the spring game. Don't let anybody tell you differently. You sell out your spring game at Colorado. That is a big deal. But what they do with it is up to Coach Prime and up to the way that he builds this thing for success on the field. I'm excited to watch that, though, man. I mean, I say that every single time we end a segment. I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to keep an eye on it. But, like, genuinely, Coach Prime is bigger than the Colorado football brand. Like, when we go ahead and and tag things on YouTube, we tag them for search terms, and that's a whole other conversation. But Coach Prime carries more weight than Colorado football. And that is me just 
delivering a fact to you, not me saying an opinion about Colorado versus Coach Prime. But I'm excited to watch that, as I just said, and uh, you better believe we'll be locked in April 22nd for that spring game. We'll talk about it, too, when that gets here. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. All right, now feels like as good a time as any going from a first-year head coach at Colorado to some coaches that are going into their second season at some premier institutions. We got LSU, we got Oregon, we got Florida, Brian Kelly, Dan Lanning, Billy Napier. What's the stock for them right now? And I want to take into account 2023 and what we think is on the horizon for them this coming year, but we can't be so sh- you know, short-sighted. It's a bit of an alliteration there. We can't be so short-sighted with how we evaluate them. Got to look to the future and beyond. What is the potential for them if they continue to go and uh, do good things at their current situations? Let's start with LSU. The stock for me for LSU, if I were to put it into a phrase, is for better or for worse. And for LSU fans, that's what you should be saying to Brian Kelly. For better or for worse, we are bought into your way of doing things. I said it on a previous live show. But what 2022 was for LSU fans and Brian Kelly, it's the equivalent of getting your wife a car the first year of marriage for Christmas. It's great. I mean, they're fired up. It is phenomenal. They weren't expecting that in the first year, at least. But now when you look to future Christmases for future seasons for Brian Kelly and LSU fans, anything below a car will be a little bit of a disappointment, right? Like he set the bar extremely high. And that's not to say you shouldn't have done that in the first year. But if you look at the over-under win total in Vegas, Vegas had LSU pinned at seven wins. That would have been an improvement from what they did the year before, in 2021, before Brian Kelly got there. Instead, they win double-digit games, go to an SEC title game. You bought them a car the first year. That's great. But what I would say is there was a lot of people that had some thoughts about Brian Kelly. He's not a fit. He's got a fake Southern accent. All these opinions about him and how he would or wouldn't fit at LSU. I think he dropped the mic in 2022. Made it very clear he is a fit. Doing what he did with a lot of freshmen on the offensive line. Getting Jane Daniels to play exceptional towards the second half of the season. Elevated his play a ton. A lot of that, I think, is credit to the conversation they had after the Auburn game. But what else were people saying about Brian Kelly? Why won't he work again? He doesn't want to recruit. He can't recruit. Well, they got a top five class in the 2023 cycle. Another mic drop moment for Brian Kelly. And so why I say for better or for worse for LSU fans is next year, if you win eight games, I've said this before, it's okay. It is okay for better or for worse. You are with Brian Kelly. Do not be upset if you get a sweater next year for Christmas. Still good. Eight wins is still phenomenal in the SEC. I mean, last year, in year one, they won double-digit games, but I think four of those were decided by one score. They were three and one in in, in one-score games. Like, that's a very big deal. Those could have gone either way. Credit to Brian Kelly and his way of doing things and their culture for being able to get them over the hump in those one-score games. But I'm just saying, for better or for worse than Brian Kelly, he's proven he's a winner. He's won something like... 75 plus percent of his games over the course of his entire coaching career. He is a winner. The way that he does things works and he's getting good players on the recruiting trail to come to Baton Rouge for LSU and Brian Kelly for 2023 should be excited, but regardless for Brian Kelly and LSU, it is for better or for worse for Oregon and Dan Lanning. I think they're a sleeping giant, 
More thoughts on that in a second. Make sure you're subscribed. Shout out to the podcast, man, on Apple and on Spotify. We love y'all for tuning in. Y'all got a lot going on. And so some of y'all are listening at work. Some of y'all are listening while you're babysitting. Whatever it is, we appreciate y'all, man. I say it all the time, but if you're listening to the podcast, you are really about that life. So thank you for that. Now, like I said, for Oregon and Dan Lanning, I believe wholeheartedly they are a sleeping giant. Let's look to just 2023 for a second. There's a ton of reason to be excited. Bo Nix said one more year. I ain't leaving. Leo DiCaprio's season is still on and popping. He's back to do some really good things in 2023. Like, he's not back just to help his draft stock. He's back to go and win a Pac-12 title. And think about the way that we talked about Bo Nix when he was at Auburn. There's all these questions about, could you win with him? Could he be consistent for you? And then last year, he goes out and is in the Heisman Trophy conversation. So he's back for seconds at Oregon. And Dan Lanning took inventory of what needed to happen at Oregon from a personnel standpoint, and they went into the portal and got themselves some players. The defensive side of the football is really what it comes down to for Oregon. Can you be more explosive in the, you know, the offensive side? I didn't say more explosive. Can you maintain that explosive approach offensively, and can you get better and limit explosive defensively? Because the secondary wasn't good. You know that. I know that it wasn't good. So if they can just keep the lid a little bit tighter on defense and Bo Nix comes back and plays the way he did in 2022, like it's going to be a good time in Eugene, Oregon, man. I'm telling you, they're going to be a player in the Pac-12 title race. You already knew that, but just to keep it a buck, now it's on record. Oregon will be a, a player in the Pac-12 title race. So that's 2023. Let's look to the future, though. Why are they a sleeping giant? Oregon's always had branding. Oregon's had a couple of good coaches come through there. Why are they a sleeping giant? Well, here's the reason. They have elite resources. Nike, Uncle Phil, ever heard of it? So they're going to be a player there. They have elite recruiting. Dan Lanning comes from the Kirby Smart coaching tree. They prioritize getting Jimmys and Joes. Okay, Dan Lanning has been to work. He came on this show, and, and he made it a point to say we have to recruit as well as anybody else in the country, and we have the ability to at Oregon. They finished with a top 10 class in the 2023 cycle. They got themselves some absolute program guys, Mateo Uwe Ungolale being one of them. They're going to build their operation like an SEC team. And that's a positive thing if you're Oregon fans. I know the Pac-12 has a certain feeling about the Southeastern Conference, but here's the deal. You got a coach that came from the SEC, you have a coach that has been on national title-winning teams, has been a part of a national championship-winning defense. He knows how to build it. He knows the formula. And he's working to do that in Eugene. Like I said, the difference, you got the resources and the buy-in around your program to get it to where it needs to go. And so for Oregon, I am excited about what they're going to do in the future. I'm very, very optimistic because, like I just said, the elite resources, elite recruiting, they are a sleeping giant. And think about it this way, too. Guess who leaves for the Big Ten in a couple years? USC. UCLA. The way that I see that, that's two less problems we would have to deal with if we're Oregon. That's a couple less people that we got to play against. And in the world of the expanded college football playoff, where it sounds like the Power Five is going to get auto bids for each conference, I'm looking at Oregon and I'm saying, okay, Oregon and Utah? Likely going to be a routine date for the Pac-12 title race? What does that look like? So Oregon is without a doubt a sleeping giant, recruiting as well as anybody else in the country, Dan Lanning. 
expect him to continue to be puffing some stogies on signing days in the future. All right. We appreciate him for that, man. That was an absolute blast. If you haven't checked out that interview with Dan Lanning, uh, go and check it out after this live show, obviously on the on three YouTube channel. Now for Florida, what's the stock for Florida for me and Billy Napier. I think that the stock is that they're currently loading. Like whenever you're, you're waiting on your software or your game or whatever it is to eventually take shape, it's loading. And for, for Florida, it's like it's been 13 games. The, the situation Billy Napier inherited wasn't sensational. It's okay to not know what they are right now. And I've beat that drum a couple times. I'll beat it again one more time, like Michael Jackson. Uh, 13 games. It's way too early to even know what Florida is right now. I think it comes down to two things this coming season for them. Can the offense be potent enough? Not can it, can, not, not can it score 40 a game? Not can it be just the you know, pace setter in the entire SEC? Can it be potent enough? And can the defense have real improved depth? What we're hearing right now at a spring camp from the good folks at Gators Online is that there is real improved depth on the defensive line. And remember, that was a big thing for them. First line was great. Starters were great. Great. Starters were good. The depth behind them was not enough to go the full length of the season. And so what I think you got to look at for Florida is there is no part of them a season ago, and probably even going into this year at this point in time, you know, time of us being live right now and it's early April, there's no part of them that is, you know, quote, completed or a finished product or something where you put the stamp on them and say, yep, Florida's ready to go. They're still trying to piece together their roster. They're still not sure who the quarterback's going to be. They're still trying to instill their culture. Heck, they just got a new D.C., Austin Armstrong. He was a D.C. at Southern Miss. Was going to be the linebacker coach at Alabama. And then Billy Napier said, nope, you're coming with me. Come be my D.C. Like, there's just so much that's still loading about this team. Can we just let it simmer a little bit? Can we let it load fully? I think you don't know what you have with Billy Napier until at least after this year. And then you can say, okay, the culture's in place. We know what he's got on the recruiting trail. We've got a larger sample size. Don't judge Billy Napier off of the situation Dan Mullen left for him. Both recruiting, roster-wise, depth-wise, do not judge Billy Napier off of what was left for him. Because not all situations are created equally when you inherit them as a head coach. And so for Billy Napier, I'm excited about the direction of the team. But to say that you know what they are right now is just absolutely dishonest. Like, you think you know what Billy Napier is at Florida? I believe that that's a lie. Okay? And I would ask you to present more data than just 13 games. So that's where we find ourselves. Because last year, had a lot of games where they looked really good. And they happened to coincide with however AR was playing at the time. There's a lot of games, too, where you're like, man, what is Florida doing? I would say this, though. The thing that I was impressed with Florida last year, there was no quitting them. In the day and age of the transfer portal, there was a couple of times where it felt like the wheels fell off for Florida. And you could have had guys jump in the portal. And if they didn't jump in the portal, they could have mentally checked out and said, you know what, we just lost to Vanderbilt. Coach, I'm, I'm out, man. You know, my hamstring's feeling a little bit tight this week. I don't think I'm going to play. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? That could have been the direction Florida would have gone. And I never once saw that. They played Florida State and went back and forth with them with AR going like 9 for 27, and they fought with Florida State. And Florida State is going to be a top 10 football team this coming season. So what I would say is the culture and the buy-in around Billy Napier, from what I've seen from an effort on the field, I think it's there. But the team itself, the stock for Florida, it's still loading. You just don't know yet.
But I think there's still a lot to be encouraged about. So for LSU, for better or for worse, Brian Kelly, we're rocking with you. For Oregon, resources, recruiting, coaching. It's being built. Stay very, very quiet because there's a giant that's sleeping in Eugene. Don't wake it up. And for Florida, like I just said, they're loading. You don't know what they are yet. But Billy Napier has that thing headed the right direction, in my humble opinion. Now, you know how we do this thing. We put a question out on my Twitter page, at Judy Pakel, and I always want to hear from y'all, man. That is the most beautiful part about this whole operation. Otherwise, just a camera and a mic, and we got a, a studio set up, and it's great, but we want to hear from y'all. That's why college football is special, the community aspect of it. So I said, hey, hit me with your questions. I just want to hear from y'all. Let's have some college football therapy as we get into the spring season and we get some college football back on TV. So without further ado, to answer some of those questions, to break it all down, we bring on the keeper of the queue, Nick Heavy Lifter Break. Nick, looking good as always, my man. The people on podcast missing out. How we doing? Doing good, buddy. Um, first question coming from at BB's Big House 1. Who will be the national champion? Who will win the national championship next year, and why will it be uh, Michigan? BB and the Big House. BB King. Listen, man, here's the reality. You, you expect to win a national title. And I can't sit here and tell you why you shouldn't expect that. You bring back a lot on offense, bring back key pieces on defense. You bring back J.J. McCarthy. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are both back. Like, I have nothing to wet your fire for what Michigan football could be in 2023. I don't. So, like, you're sitting here telling me why is Michigan going to win a national championship for all the reasons you already know. It's Jim Harbaugh's football team. And you say, yeah, he's the head coach. No, no, no. I mean, from a culture, from an identity standpoint, the way they play the game, they're tough. Like, every cliche you want to throw out there, that's what Michigan football is right now. And the other thing that I think is maybe being overlooked just a little bit, the way that you're talking about Michigan is the way they feel internally. There's a swagger. There's an edge to them. They're not just there to beat Ohio State. A couple of years ago, that would have been great. They would have been very happy to do that. Now it's, we expect to beat Ohio State. We expect to win the Big Ten. We'll see y'all in the playoff. We're coming for everybody. So I have nothing to go against what you're saying there, BB. I think Michigan is definitely going to be a player when it comes to the national title conversation. I'm excited to get into that when we get into prediction season. But yeah, fair to say, Michigan is on a mission in 2023. I love it, Nick. What else we got, big homie? Um, well, at the Vol Guy 83 I don't think you have any doubt what he's going to ask. Uh, does Tennessee compete with Georgia for the top of the SEC East? And does Joe Milton compare to Hooker over the last two years? How about it, man? Vol Guy. Nick, I can't, I can't wait for Tennessee, Georgia to get here. I hope we're there. I hope that matchup, we get two undefeated teams because that would just be what we, as college football fans, deserve. So the, the question is, can Tennessee compete with Georgia in the SEC East? Today, in early April, I have no reason to tell you that they can't. Josh Heupel is building a machine. He came on this show, I believe it was last week, and presented every single reason why Tennessee is going to be good again in 2023. And Josh Heupel is one of the big reasons why they will be good in 2023. He's got an absolute machine over there. Now, the second part of that question has a couple of prongs to it. Joe Milton comparing to Hennon Hooker the last two years. So here's the bad news. Joe Milton's not Hennon Hooker. Okay, he, he doesn't have the same skill set. I would imagine he is a little bit less fleet of foot. But the good news is you don't need Joe Milton to be Hendon Hooker for that offense to be successful. 
Like, Joe Milton does a lot of things that Hendon Hooker just straight up can't. Like, the way that he just absolutely, as Josh Heupel so eloquently put it, can spray it all over the field. He's a guy that you're going to have to deal with with that deep ball. There is no way you can be too deep when you're trying to defend that. You're never out of his range if you're a wide receiver. So I think Joe Milton's going to be Joe Milton, and I think you can be just fine living that way. Like, number seven has been waiting for this for a long time. My personal thing I, I appreciate about Joe Milton, he's gone through some adversity. Like, he stares down the barrel of the gun, and it's not going to be his first time that he has some adversity if they go down a score too early in any given game. Like, he's a cool customer, mentally tough, and I'm excited about that for him. So Joe Milton, Tennessee, they're going to be a force this year. We'll talk about it when it's closer to prediction season as to how they stack up in the SEC East against Georgia. But Georgia's going to be a tall task now. A lot of it hinges on what Georgia's going to have at quarterback. But Tennessee, absolutely they compete in the SEC East, 100%. You should have a little bit of swagger about yourself, too, if you're in Knoxville. So great question by Vol Guy. And uh, shout out all the Tennessee faithful that routinely tune in to our operation here, Nick. Yep, and that's it. I think that was it, huh? Yep. Nick, I want to address one more question I saw in the live chat during the Hugh Freeze interview, and it was an Auburn fan that was essentially asking, can you address the possibility if Arch Manning were to beat out Quinn Ewers in spring football and Auburn lands Quinn Ewers? Um, see, this is, why, this is why I love what we do, and this is why I love this show. Um, I do not believe Quinn Ewers will get beat out during spring. I'll just, I'll just say that right now. I think there is a quarterback competition. I don't think there's a quarterback battle. Like, competition is to push everybody forward. A battle is for a position. Make no mistake. Quinn Ewers is your starting quarterback at, at Texas. Like, that's just the reality. He is going to be QB1 when you open things up in Austin. But for Auburn, the other side of that coin, you're going to get somebody in the portal. Like Hugh Freeze, if you're trusting his actions and his words, he wants to get another quarterback in the portal. I don't believe they're happy with what they have right now. I'll rephrase that. I don't believe they're satisfied with what they have right now. They will bring in somebody, and I've become more and more convinced of this the more that we hear out of Auburn camp. I believe they'll get somebody who can compete for that QB1 spot. I used to think maybe they'll go and get somebody to just help add depth and be an option for them. Maybe Robbie Ashford wins the job. Maybe, maybe Holden wins the job. I think it's going to be somebody that comes in and competes day one of fall camp to be your starting quarterback. Who is that? I don't know, but I'd keep a very close eye on these other more real quarterback battles across the country. Ohio State comes to mind. You know, there's a lot of quarterback battles that you got to take into account here if you're looking for Auburn's potential next starting quarterback. But nonetheless, appreciate you adding some uh, some fuel to the fire. And far be it for me to say that something's off the table when it comes to college football, but feel pretty confident that Quinn Ewers uh, will be on the 40 acres when it comes to the fall. Well, y'all, that does it. We appreciate you tuning in with us, as you always do. This is a special thing we get to do together. All right, like I said, we got a camera, we got a mic, but this does not exist without y'all tuning in as you do, without y'all creating the demand that we're then able to supply. So genuinely, from everybody here, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.